Listening to the Weekly Brew with Austin Stanton, Zach Taylor, and Jeremy Paxton. Welcome to the first episode of the Weekly Brew, your source for political, social, and sports commentary brewed up in 30 minutes or less. I'm Austin Stanton, and tonight I am joined by my co-hosts Zach Taylor and Jeremy Paxton. Before we take you through the big events of the week, let's start off with introductions. Zach Attack, lead us off. Hi, my name is uh, Zach Taylor. I am a graduate of Baylor University and received my MBA from Providence College. I am currently living in Fort Worth, Texas and work in finance. All right, thanks, Zach. J-Pax, let's hear it. Uh, My name is Jeremy Paxton. I'm also a fellow Baylor grad, and I graduated in 2012 from Pepperdine University with a master's in clinical psychology and marriage and family therapy. As for myself, I'm a Baylor grad and a communications professional for an oil and gas company here in town. Uh, definitely look forward to chatting uh, with you guys as we move forward with this broadcast and uh, kind of see what happens and what emerges is the big topics. Uh, it's the first time that I've done anything like this and uh, definitely glad to have you guys on board and I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. All right, guys. Are you ready? Let's start off with the first segment yeah. of the week, The Big Lead. The Big Lead. Now, this segment will cover the big news stories of the week, pretty much everything that you need to know in order to, you know, catch up at the water cooler or at the bar and, you know, sound like you know what you're talking about. So obviously, the big story this past week was the GOP presidential debates. Uh, We had a lot of storylines, you know, kind of emerging from the debates. Uh, The recent polls came out today and suggest that Donald Trump is still leading and in some cases has actually increased his lead, which is a little bit shocking. But uh, guys, uh, you know, after watching the first debate, who do you guys think emerged as the long-term candidates? Well, I think, I think for me, I thought, uh, I thought Marco Rubio um, did really well. I thought he came off uh, the best, at least as far as a consistent long-term thing. Um, with that said though, I didn't get a chance to watch the happy hour debate from, from the uh, excerpts and, Everything that I've read about that Fiorina uh, seems to have done really, really well. You know, we call it the happy hour debate, and because this is the weekly brew, do you think there's room for us to sponsor, uh, you know, a debate coming up in the future? You know, I, I think that's a brilliant idea. I, we need to explore that, actually. I, I think it, I think it would be great. Uh, Jeremy, what did you think of the, you know, the debate? Who, who, who emerged for you as some of the long-term candidates? Honestly, a little shocked that Trump is still where he is. Um, the latest. The latest GOP poll from NBC, uh, SurveyMonkey, has him holding steady at 23%. Um, not not a whole lot of change because that's kind of where he was before going into the debate. Um, the ones that I was really most surprised about, uh, Cruz jumped up to 13%. Carson was at 11 um, And Fiorina, who wasn't even in the main debate, she was in the happy hour debate, she jumped up to 8 I mean, that was a huge, huge gain for her. Um, you had Rubio at eight, Bush at seven, Walker at seven. Man, Bush really tanked. Um, you know, I think he's um, he's like a piece of milk toast. He's just completely bland, and I think a lot of a lot of voters saw saw through that. So what's what's interesting about all of these poll numbers, you know, and there's the the Iowa public policy poll that just came out today. 
is that uh, guys like Carson in Fiorina, who are not a part of the political class, are actually in the top five, top ten. So uh, that's something that I kind of thought was remarkable, considering um, you know just just how big the field is and how many quote unquote professional politicians we have running. So, yeah, absolutely, and that, that's one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting is. When I first heard that, you know, uh, that we were going to have this happy hour type debate, uh, you know, the second tier candidates, if you will, I-, I was wondering if any of those candidates would be able to kind of position themselves and make a, a run and kind of get up to that tier one. Um, to me, it's it's kind of reminiscent of college football, right? I mean, you have, you know, the Boise States of the world. Uh, what used to be TCU when they were in the Mountain West Conference, you know, occasionally they would break through in those BCS games and, you know, pull an upset. Um, that's kind of the way I looked at, you know, the happy hour debate. And I think, uh, you know, I thought Carly brought up a great point uh, when she found out that, you know, she was not going to make that initial, uh, you know, tier one debate. She said that we've got a long way to go here. It's a long race and that she looks forward to, you know, that second tier happy hour debate. And uh, like you guys have both mentioned, I I think she really positioned herself well. Uh, She, you know, made direct attacks toward Hillary Clinton uh, and, you know, the establishment. And as the polls have suggested, she's making, you know, a name for herself. And she's kind of positioned herself right now into getting into that tier one level. Um, do you guys think that she has a a chance, you know, maybe not necessarily in 2016, but is she maybe positioning herself for uh, a run in 2020 if, you know, a Democrat such as Hillary Clinton were to win the election? You know, I, I would hope so. I, w- I would hope that she's positioning herself to be uh, the candidate this time around. I, I think there's there's too much at stake um, personally for, for, for her to not give it her all. I, I think that she is at the moment. And I, I think that, that her story is rising. She isn't, you know, the, one, one thing about Fiorina I've, I've, I've seen consistently, she's always on point. She's always quick. Um, she, she really, uh, I don't want to say she's like Donald Trump, but, but she's very, very good with the press and she's very good. Uh, she's very quick on her feet. And something I've seen her on late night shows where she, she was on late night with Seth Meyers here a couple of weeks ago and just, you know, completely took it to him. I don't know. I mean, she could be setting herself up for a future political career, but I, I would hope that she's sort of, you know, throwing in all her chips for, for this race. I think it's kind of interesting. A lot of people say that, you know, you need to have that political experience, but you know, I, I think it's also important to have that leadership experience, and she definitely has that from the corporate world. Just kind of looking at that first debate, Zach, how do you think the candidates are going to respond? I honestly don't know how to answer that question because, uh, I mean, I had an idea on how to answer that question um, before the debate happened or uh, before the results uh, happened because I expected it to be, you know, as it was for just the overly crowded uh, Republican field right now that there was definitely a weed out part of it um and a lot of it took place with the happy hour debate before but i was expecting trump to really drop a lot uh after this debate and seeing what has happened not only in the aftermath of the debate but then also in the aftermath of the cnn comments following the debate um i just if i was one of the other candidates one of those top five candidates in the in the nbc poll right now that is not only trailing trump but by double digits I, I don't know how you respond uh, to this right now because um, I think in, in, in that article it talks about how 54% of uh, current Trump followers would still vote for him if he ran it for a third party. So it's not you – can, you can't really attack him directly or too hard because then you risk alienating what is a, right now a large portion of the vote, voting block that you need um, to secure a win against a Democrat. 
read the term today, Teflon Don. I mean, the guy seems yeah. to, he's sort of, I mean, it doesn't matter what's thrown at him. It just kind of seems to bounce off. I mean, he was disinvited from some red state gathering by Eric Erickson. He, uh, he's gotten to this, and that was really over the spat with Megan Kelly. Um, it, not a whole lot seems to be affecting him at the moment, but I think part of that is who's really gunning for Don and that, or for, for Trump, I should say. And that's, he has the FU vote right now. I mean, if we're looking at across the electorate, we have a lot of disaffected Republicans who are very upset with the way that the, the direction of the party and how they've dealt with Obama, you know, despite having both houses of Congress, they haven't really seen much in terms of the, the promises that were made to them back during the midterms. Um, and so I, I think Trump is sort of tapping into that right now. I, I don't know how long that's going to last or if any of the other candidates really need to worry about it. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly I, I'm not on the Trump train. So um, to tell you the truth, I, I think he will eventually it will eventually fade. So, you know, kind of going back to your point, Zach, you know, I don't know if they have to do anything at the moment. You know, like Carly said, it is kind of like a long game, and, and we are just, you know, such a long way out even from the first uh, – uh, primary poll in Iowa or primary election in Iowa, which I think is that's the first week of February. Am I, am I not wrong? One thing that I read I was actually, I mean, this will come up later, but in the article um, that I was telling you about uh, talking about Bernie Sanders and uh, Trump right now, that there are a couple of different theories as to um, like what's going on with them. One of one of it, one of it that it mentioned is the uh, like uh, a sociological theory um, is just that they both are just avatars or, you know, representatives of sort of this like uh, populist movement um, of just like, just so fed up with, the way things are currently working um, in Washington and with that. And I think that also just kind of goes to point, like to, to your point, Jeremy, um, with that, that NBC poll that three of the top five and actually three of the top four in the Republican primary um, are non, like they aren't affiliated with politics in right. Donald Trump, Ben Carson and Carly Fiorina. And I think that speaks um, loads to that, uh, to that just anti-government feeling uh, it- right now with the way things are working. In terms of that anti-government feeling, I feel that a lot of it has to relate to the two-party system. I mean, I think people feel that they either have to identify as a Republican or a Democrat. Um, and I feel that there's some sort of, I don't know, hostility towards independents or third parties. But it seems like with those candidates that, you know, maybe America is ready for a third-party candidate. Um, you know, you had mentioned both Trump as well as uh, Bernie Sanders do either of you guys think that one of them could run as a third-party candidate? And if so, uh, what would the reaction from the establishment be? Uh, I know Trump made some comments saying that he would not guarantee that he would, you know, not run as a third-party candidate if, if he were to not win the Republican nominee. But what do you guys think about that, a possible third-party candidate? And do you see the two-party system holding up for the long term? It's interesting because Trump has made conflicting statements about about his position. You know, uh, when he was down at the Texas border here, someone asked him a question along those same lines, and he he had said that he thinks the best way to win the presidency is to, to you know win the nom- to win the Republican nomination. You know, <laughs> at the debates he, he, he didn't give a, a, a an answer. You know, he didn't he either raise his hand or didn't raise his hand. I forget what the what the test was, but basically he indicated that he was not going to commit to supporting the candidate if he did not win the nomination. So. You know, I, I Trump Trump has an ego, but I don't think he's I don't think he's stupid. Um, he knows, I think, as well as anyone else, that a, a third party, especially a, what would essentially be like a Ross Perot um, type move, I think that he knows that would not only result in the defeat of his, you know, his he would not win the election, but then also he would secure a defeat for the Republicans in the general. So. 
Um, you have to remember that Clinton could not get elected without Ross Perot. That if we go back to the ninety uh, the ninety two election, so. Um, and then you I, also I, look I, at you also look at Ralph Nader as well. I mean, obviously, right. possibly playing an impact in Al Gore. Um, oh, absolutely. So I mean, third party candidates, you know, could present an issue. Um, but I think I think that's I, def- I, that perspective I think is going to definitely make it interesting to watch moving forward. And I think if Trump keeps up the steam of, you know, polling at you know twenty five to thirty percent, he's got the ego and the you know the personal finances to make a run. Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting uh, thing to watch. Sanders explained that when he was making his decision to run for president in 2016, he considered doing it as an, as an independent because he feels the Democrat Party is too conservative, too cozied up with big money and corporate America. But ultimately, he decided that the only way to run for president at this unique moment in history would to do it would be to do it as uh, part of a two-party system. Quote, if it happens that I do not win that process, would I run outside the system? No, I made that promise, uh, and I will keep that promise, Sanders said. And the reason for that is that I do not want to be responsible for electing some right-wing Republican to be president of the United States. So I think uh, I think Trump um, is definitely far more likely uh, than Sanders to run as a third party. But uh, there are there are some other things in there on Sanders that that I find to be a little concerning about the future of American politics. All right. So we've discussed Bernie Sanders a little bit, and uh, you know, kind of what his thoughts are on the whole third party. Uh, candidacy now a lot of people just assume that hillary clinton is going to be the democratic nominee for the 2016 general election uh right now her only primary candidate would be bernie sanders a lot of people believe that joe biden will eventually throw his name into the ring Um, but i found it kind of interesting how bernie sanders is actually closing the gap against hillary clinton in fact new hampshire polls suggest that that gap is you know, very, very tight and almost within the margin of error. In January, Clinton was up 58 to 6, according to that New Hampshire poll. However, last week, Sanders closed the gap to 42 to 36. Do we see any possibility of Hillary Clinton not getting the nominee? I I mean, I know she's got, uh, you know, Benghazi, the emails, uh, the Clinton Foundation issues kind of hanging overhead, but are those enough to possibly remove her from being the Democratic nominee in 2016? Jesus, I hope not. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe we want Bernie Sanders to, to, to be the nominee, but um, I, I just the, the fear I have from uh, two, two Obama elections and a, a Bernie Sanders getting elected to the presidency, um, I, I just he, – he, he's a – I mean, he's an avowed socialist. I mean – in as much as uh, a presidential candidate can be, um, he's just uh, he's just he's just kind of a wacko bird. He kind of looks like a grumpy muppet who spent too much time trying to hand out socialist reading literature to a disinterested public. I mean, we may as well just start calling him Comrade Bernie. One of the things that I actually read uh, today that I, I don't think makes him a long-term um, opponent for for Hillary this year is just that his message right now at least isn't resonating with um, African Americans or Hispanics. Uh, and those are two very, you know, large demographics um, to win the Democratic uh, nomination. And I don't know if I see that really kind of transpiring, you know, over the course of the next six months or something. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Um, but I think uh, I think for this 
you know, this current political like election cycle, um, I, I see him being more of a face of the future of the Democratic Party as opposed to something that's going to happen now. What about Joseph Biden? Does he have a chance to make a run against Hillary? I think uh, I think if Biden gets in there, I think he would be the Democratic version of uh, Donald Trump. I think it'd be a lot of fun if he does. <laughs> well, it, it's it, it's funny you say that because, like Trump, he's sort of a gaffe machine, even more so. I mean, Trump Trump makes these gaffes and he's sort of like applauded for it, but when Biden makes gaffes, it's like kind of creepy, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Just if you do an image search, just put Joe Biden creepy into Google, and you will find some really odd things that he's done over the past eight years here as vice president. So I just imagine what you would see if you put in "I'm feeling lucky" with Joe Biden creepy. I I, I, don't, I don't know if that would be safe for <laughs> yeah, work, honestly. There, there, there are definitely a couple of creepy shoulder rub photos with some biker lady that were taken here a couple of years ago. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but Biden is just a he's. He's kind of a character. I, I'm not. I, I kind of agree that he would kind of be like a Donald Trump, but except I think that he would be taken, you know, more seriously. I, I, I think than, than Trump is by a lot of Republicans. I think the only uh, difference would be, and I think it'd be interesting since, you know, and this is going to sound very, you know, typical conservative of me, but calling out some uh, some media bias. I think the way the media would cover Biden would be different than the way it covers Trump and his guests, which I think might have been what you guys were alluding to. Um, and I think that would that has played and would play a part. Um, and how he is perceived. I, I think there's a huge difference between Trump and Biden. I mean, yeah, sure, they both have gaps, but I think they're they're two different levels. I think I don't know that Biden necessarily knows what he's doing in certain situations. You know, I think he's just that kind Correct. of person. He seems more to me like a frat guy um, that happens to hold, uh, you know, one of the most high offices here in the United States. Whereas Trump, I think his ego is so large. Uh, you know, he's a sexist, uh, you know, and he just treats people with disrespect and as if they're beneath him. I don't I don't know that Biden does that. I mean, they both make their mistakes. But to me, Biden seems like a guy that you'd want to go get a drink with, whereas Trump is a guy that you'd want to stay away from and not play at his golf course. I think Biden says things and doesn't really understand what he's saying until someone comes and tells him afterwards, you know, Mr. Biden, you you probably should have phrased this a little differently, whereas Donald Trump knows exactly what he's doing. He's pandering to the public. Right. One thing that I found kind of interesting is, you know, although Sanders is polling a little bit closer now to Hillary, 42-36 in New Hampshire, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, Hillary launched a new ad campaign last week entitled Dorothy. Did you guys have a chance to take a look at that? I found it kind of interesting how she's launching this multi-million dollar campaign and the early states for the Democratic primaries and the campaign is focusing on her mother and showing a more personal side to Hillary that we don't often see. Uh, she kind of discusses how her mother, Dorothy, which is, you know, what the ad is named after, had overcome a lot of adversity in her life and, you know, worked through difficult situations to provide a life for Hillary in which she could, you know, go on and uh, reach her dreams. Uh, but do you guys find it interesting that, uh, you know, Hillary is – I don't know if I, – I don't know if I want to use the term concerned – about these polling numbers and these scandals that could be entering your camp. But do you guys find it interesting that she's spending those ad dollars this early in the race? Hillary knows that, that she is sort of uh, – she's an ice queen to the public. You know, uh, All you need to know about Hillary's personability comes from that SNL skit here probably a month or two ago where she is you – know, the, the, the joke is that she's completely personally disconnected from the experiences of everyday people. Um, you know, she, the, 
the actor or the act the actress on SNL who plays her, um, you know, during her when she announces her candidacy for the presidency, she says, "Citizens, you will elect me. I will be your leader." I mean, if that's all you really need to know about Hillary and how she how how she can relate to everyday people. So it's not a surprise that she's spending money. I think a lot of the uh, credit for for the timing of this being so early kind of goes to just the Republican Party in general having you know started really an attack on her um, almost a year ago, uh, assuming that she was going to be the nominee. Um, and I know just from some conversations I've had from some different fellow conservatives whether or not they thought that was a good or an appropriate idea to start uh, basically attacking her before you know the the election cycle even kicked off before she even declared for president. Uh, but I think a lot of this has really come from uh, the Republican Party in general, just kind of really trying to focus in and hone on on, uh, you know, just the type of person she is um, and kind of paint that picture of her to the American public so that she has to start fighting basically the general election uh, and a general election battle uh, before she even knows who her opponent is, um, while also trying to fight off uh, Bernie Sanders. I could say one thing for certain. I, I, I'm definitely looking forward to the debates, the commentary. The discourse, uh, you know, the the campaign fights leading up to 2016. I think it's going to be a fascinating time for the, uh, you know, for the U.S. And I'm interested to see what transpires and who the candidates are, what the issues are going to be, because I think there's still a lot to be under, you know, a lot to be determined as the election cycle kicks into full gear as we move into 2016. All right, and heading to our final segment of today's podcast, it's a segment we like to call "Around the Horn." These are odd stories that you might have missed throughout the week or headlines that have just gotten way too much attention uh, that shouldn't have gotten a lot of attention or headlines that didn't get enough attention. So basically, it's uh, it could be whatever we want. Uh, we're all going to come together with one topic that we would like to discuss, and uh, we'll just go around the horn. JPAX, lead us off. Around the horn. Well, as some of you have undoubtedly seen, uh, last week a piece of wreckage was found on an island in the Indian Ocean uh, off the coast of Madagascar that uh, some experts believe is from MH370. Um, And in fact, I believe that uh, some teams or some experts in France later confirmed that it was a piece of the the plane that crashed here uh, some months ago. and so I, I, I thought it was interesting, you know, that something physical has actually turned up from this plane, and that, that's sort of in contrast to some of the crazy theories that were offered up on none other than CNN after the accident occurred um, that were not limited to uh, extraterrestrial abduction and uh, other paranormal phenomenon. So I, I, don't, I don't know if you guys have followed this at all, but I, I just found that kind of amusing that, you know, here we have this evidence, and that's... yeah, that 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 was the one thing to me when I saw the news break on Twitter. Uh, my my gut reaction was I have to turn it to CNN right away because I know their producers are going absolutely nuts right now. There are two things that CNN lives for right now: missing planes and poop on cruise ships. Uh, that's essentially what their network has evolved to. Uh, and you know, we have CNN at work on one TV screen. We have Fox at work on another TV screen. Fox seems to be dedicated toward uh, you know Hillary Clinton and proving why she does not need to be the president of the United States. So I just thought I, I thought it was nice to see CNN, you know, get the big story back that they had worked so hard on last April, and to finally have some sort of resolution. Uh, but in all seriousness, um, I'm, I'm glad that the families of MH370 
are finally um, you know, able to have some sort of closure because it was just an odd situation. Uh, Zach, I don't know what you think about this. Uh, you, you, I, I completely agree. You took the words right out of my mouth. That was brilliant. And, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to be disparaging toward the families. Um, you know, it's a very, very sad situation what happened, and really a tough stretch uh, last year for Malaysian Airlines. But um, I, I, I think the bigger issue here for me, at least, is just how the news has, you know, kind of evolved for the major networks that it's almost pandering towards a larger audience. That, um, you know. I don't know. I feel like CNN used to be a legitimate network, and now I'm just wondering if they're there, you know, almost like as a adult version of, I don't know, ET or something like that. I, I, I think it's a shame for CNN that uh, aliens didn't come down and, and actually give us a piece of debris as to confirm all of the uh, quote unquote expert uh, theories that that's what had actually happened to it. So that would have made for great TV. I or absolutely would have. Yeah. I mean, given give some of the uh, quote unquote experts that they had. Um, it, 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 where I work, we, we have uh, Fox and CNN both on, actually. And um, I was listening to Don Lemon one day, and he had a, a panel of experts talking about um, potential uh, paranormal or extraterrestrial explanations for the disappearance of MH370. And so it just sort of, uh, you know, it's epitomized sort of where, you know, CNN has gone here with uh, their programming. So, um you know, I, I am glad, of course, that this that this turned up. But um, I think you know CNN must be feeling a bit foolish right now about some of the coverage that they that they had over the uh, during the the aftermath of the disaster. Zach, let's move around the horn. What do you got? Around the horn. Awesome. I wanted to talk about the uh, baseball, Major League Baseball uh, in particular, the uh, American League uh, wild card race. Um, as I'm sure you guys know, right now there are seven teams uh, in contention for the American League wild card all within five and a half games or, or fewer um, back of the wild card and uh, five of those seven teams are actually hovering right around a 500 record um, I was curious uh, if you guys had a favorite on how you think that's going to shake out and do you think both the quantity of American League teams and the fact that so many of them are just right around a 500 record is this an indication of parity right now in the American League, or are we looking at uh, the second wild card sort of watering down the playoffs in the same way that the uh, the NBA Eastern Conference um, playoff spots seem to be moving towards these days? Now I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go ahead and take a stab at this first. I was not a huge fan, honestly, of Major League Baseball adding another wild card spot. However, as everything has transpired. I've become a huge fan, and here's why. When you win your division, you deserve some sort of advantage. And when you win the wild card, you deserve some sort of disadvantage. And one of the things that used to happen is if you were the third divisional winner and the, you know, the wild card winner, you still played in a five-game series. Nothing changed. There was no advantage except where the games were played. Now that has changed. The two wild card teams have to play in that one-game playoff. And oftentimes they're going to throw their ace. And so it kind of gives a small advantage for a team having to go, you know, for example, look at the Kansas City Royals last year. They, I, I believe they were one of the wild card teams. They ended up having to win a wild card game just to get into the divisional round of the playoffs. And, you know, ultimately it worked out for them. But in theory, uh, I think the second wild card is designed to give that, you know, that benefit to uh, the divisional winner. And 
Um, I, I think it's going to be a fascinating race uh, heading into October this year. I think there are a lot of quality baseball clubs, and I wouldn't count any team out right now. I think uh, Toronto, obviously, is playing a great brand of baseball. And, uh, you know, I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the, the AL West between uh, Anaheim and the Houston Astros. But you also can't count out the Texas Rangers. I mean, they're just a few games out of the wild card spot, and they made one of the biggest splashes during free agency by picking up Cole Hamels. I, I, I really, I, I've just got nothing here. I'm, uh, I occasionally will uh, go to baseball games, but that, that's, a, that's about how far my baseball um, fandom or dedication goes. I'm, I'm more excited about college football, if I'm going to be honest with you guys. So uh, it's right around the quarter here. Uh, we've got less than a month until the first uh, first Baylor game. So. Sick and Bears. Sick and Bears. That's right. And I think that's a good segue to uh, the final portion of Around the Horn, and that's Vanderbilt football. Around the Horn. You know, social media, you always have to be aware of what you do on social media. Um, you can't make outlandish comments without ex- expecting some sort of repercussions. Um, Vanderbilt football last year had former players convicted of aggravated rape. Uh, the verdict was eventually overturned in June after the judge declared a mistrial and prosecutors um, have vowed that they're going to have a retrial. However, just last week, Vanderbilt in their new ad campaign for the football team tweeted out an image that said, we do not need your permission. And obviously it took Twitter with a firestorm and the school eventually took down the tweet and issued a statement saying, we apologize for today's tweet. It's not a comment about sexual assault. Sex without permission is always wrong and not accepted. Sexual assault is not acceptable at Vanderbilt University. Vanderbilt Athletics and Vanderbilt Football. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that when you're using social media, especially Twitter, you have to think, then tweet. And I think that Vanderbilt Football just made a dumb mistake. What do you, what do you guys think? I, I think to call it dumb is, is being polite. I, I don't even – first off, it's, it's just a horrible – uh, misuse of words in, in light of, you know, everything that's happened at that university um, lately. But uh, I just, I don't even get, like, what what is that supposed to even mean for an upcoming football season? I mean, you know, every team has a slogan, you know, like never quit or, you know, this year or you know, things like that. What does what does that phrase have anything to do with an upcoming football season? We don't need your permission to run a spread offense. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess. <laughs> we don't need your permission to play defense. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it really it really it makes no. I, I agree. It makes really no sense from a like a football slogan perspective. And so I, I kind of wonder, you know, who is sitting there at the computer? I mean, I'm sure they have what one or one, two, three people doing their tweets, and I don't know who whose idea it was to to, to do that. But um, it certainly wasn't a good football slogan, and um, kind of ignored the reality of the past year for them. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. All right, so we said we were going to have the weekly brew in 30 minutes or less. We might have gone a little bit over time, uh, but uh, guys, I had a lot of fun tonight. Uh, What did you guys think? It was a great first episode. Yeah, no, I had a uh, a great time. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this, uh, how we follow the uh, the rest of the election cycle through, as well as the start of college football, NFL, and uh, you know just any other thing that just kind of pops up over the next few months. I got totally naked for the podcast. I don't know about you guys. I just I just wanted to get comfortable, and so I'm, I'm just sitting here. Um, getting kind of cold, actually. Uh, uh, it's really, really cold. This headset's not really doing it for me. 
Well, on that note, I think that's a little bit of an overshare. Uh, I We called it the Weekly Brew, and I think all of us had uh, different drinks on tap. But, uh, Jeremy, I guess you took it a little bit too far. <laughs> but I'm glad you were comfortable. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Rubbish. And, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I think it was the first great episode, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how this transpires and uh, looking forward to having several guests on as we move forward. But, guys, uh, thanks for joining tonight and calling in, and uh, you've been listening to The Weekly Brew. We'll see you next week. been listening to The Weekly Brew.